This episode of the Stock Market Movers podcast is a special episode that is on behalf of the Auckland Shareholders Association. The Auckland Shareholders Association runs regular investor meetups and presentations and had one planned for later this month. Unfortunately, the event was cancelled due to the COVID-19 lockdown. Each event has guest speakers, often CEOs of NZX-listed companies, as well as other well-known market specialists and participants. The events are great places to enhance your investing knowledge, meet like-minded people and get an insight that is not normally allowed to retail investors. I mean, often these presentations only get shared with institutional investors. So the Shareholders Association also does a lot of work to represent your interests as shareholders. They advocate and scrutinise boards, attend annual meetings and send out a regular investor newsletter, which is also good for tips and ideas. For a nominal fee, the Shareholders Association is some of the best value you can get in the markets at the moment. Find out more about the Shareholders Association and how to join your local branch at www.nzshareholders.co.nz. In this special episode of the podcast, I interview Paul Harrison, who is due to be one of the guest speakers that was to, to present later in the month. Paul has 28 years of experience in the finance sector and is the managing director and portfolio manager of, of Salt Wholesale Funds. Salt is an active fund manager whose investment philosophy focuses on the belief that the NZX and ASX have characteristics that lead to market inefficiencies that can be exploited over time to d- deliver superior risk-adjusted returns. So basically, like everyone listening, they like to pick stocks. You can find out more about them by going to www.saltfunds.co.nz. Now, we recorded this conversation on Wednesday this week, that is the 8th of April. I point that out for two reasons, the first being that we quoted a, a stock's trading price, um, and because the way things are trading at the moment, some of the stuff we talked about may already be <laughs> slightly out of date. That's how fast the water is flowing at the moment. Even though we're both in Auckland, we obviously had to record the conversation over the phone rather than in person, so I do apologise for any quality issues or background noise there. I would also like to point out that before we start recording it, nothing that either Paul or I say should be considered financial advice, and if you're looking for financial advice, I recommend that you speak to an authorised financial advisor. Right, let's get into it. Right, so I've got Paul Harrison on the line, the Managing Director and Portfolio Manager for Salt Investment. Um, we're going to sit down and have this chat in person, but obviously because of the restrictions at the moment, we're currently on the phone, so apologies for any, I guess, quality issues on the on the line. Um but Paul, maybe you start by just telling us a, a bit about yourself and a bit about Salt and what you guys do. Sure, sure thing, Jerry. Uh, basically, I started in the uh, funds management industry back in the, the 1980s. I started uh, at Southbank in Wellington. Uh, I've worked at uh, Goldman Sachs, Jody Weir on the funds management side as well as uh, BT Funds. In about 2013, uh, myself and Matthew Goodson established Salt Funds Management, so that was set up and to manage mainly at that stage was the equity exposure of um, Westpac's KiwiSaver and other investments in terms of the New Zealand and Australian equity exposures. So today we've got about two billion dollars of, of equities that, that we manage uh, for Westpac KiwiSaver, and there's also some AMP KiwiSaver money in there, and, and some individuals and uh, other superannuation funds that rely on us to invest in, in the Australasian equity market. Um, we've also got a, a couple of other retail funds, so there's a property fund in there, um, there's a New Zealand equities fund that's focused on um, companies that pay sustainable dividends and we also have a, a long short fund. 
we employ our own analysts, so we're quite big on doing our own research, uh, which in, in sort of wild markets like this, uh, it, it helps to have your guys uh, on, on call, on demand, that uh, can give you a view on something quite quickly. So we're finding that's actually been working for us um, during during this, this time, the last, particularly in the last couple of months. So you're keeping everything in-house, I guess. Yeah, I suppose we took the view that there's no point in trying to um, outsource your IP, if you like. If you're a fund manager, you should you really need to be able to do your own research, build your own models, be able to call up the company and ask them, you know, what does this mean? You know, how, how do I deal with this in my in my forecasts? So we, we're finding that's that's been um, very good for us because you can sit down and you can each morning we we have a meeting and say, well, what does this mean? Particularly at the moment when you're getting daily announcements of, of companies and, and, and what's happening to their business with this COVID-19. COVID I think it's a good approach. I mean, I always sort of think that if people are going to be giving you money, they want you to be managing it, right? Not yeah. getting yep. information from somewhere else. So I guess in all your years of experience, have you ever seen times like this? No, I was saying to somebody the other day, it's almost like there's 30 years of, of market moves and events all being squashed into probably three three months here. It's just that you've had massive rallies and massive sell-offs. So the US market's already 20% off its lows from when we were back in, in, I think it was March the 23rd. It feels like a long time ago. But just, just the, I think the interesting thing has been for us is that when we set our business up in 2013, the market already had a big rally out of the, the GSC in 2008, 2009, and it just carried on. Our equity market here last year was up 30-odd percent, and it, it just, it's just not normal. And for us, that we were finding there were people that just thought this was going to keep going and going. And I think it reflected that just that, um, you know, to, to actually have experienced a, a bear market in, in the run-up to it, you actually had to in, had any knowledge of, of it or understand, deep understanding of it. You would have needed to be in your 40s. And we were finding there's more and more people that were, you know, a little bit less of the, the grey hair around and... Um, yeah, for, for, uh, for I suppose in some benefit of, of being through some of these cycles before, you know it's not going to stay like this forever. You just need to be prepared to to be try and be agile and quick on your feet. So, you mentioned two things there. The first, that the market's twenty percent off its lows, and then you oh, so in the US market. Do you? Yeah, in the US. Do you? Do you think this is what we're heading into a, a bear market? Uh, this is an event that, that's been caused. Well, I suppose the market was overvalued going into these to these events. I think the COVID is purely a manufactured event from the sense that it's, we've locked everything down, um, and so so what's happened with with this is that we probably New Zealand more than anywhere else in the world has actually taken a very defensive stance in terms of protecting its healthcare system. So. At the moment, the government, quite rightly, is trying to look after its, the health of its citizens. That will have to. There'll be a, a sort of a bit of a um, discussion, I suspect, in the next few days around when can we open again, because it's having material impacts on on businesses and people's people's economic well-being. Tell me about it. Well, um, Patrick yeah. had a, a good question the other day, which I'll pass on to you. She said, if if you had to start a business today. What would it be? You can't say funds management. <laughs> no, no. I, I actually—it's been interesting to watch who is um, doing okay at the moment. But New Zealand's very fortunate, one, because we're so remote and we've been able to control our borders and a lot better than what other countries can. 
But I think if you have a look at the companies that are supplying food, the exporters of food that the government's allowing to continue to export and provide food around, um, so, so yeah, that that will be going forward. The other thing is too, uh, it's sort of it's going to be interesting to see what New Zealand looks like when we come out of this. So it's it's possibly something that that would benefit that. I, I think. It's it's a very hard question to answer because you yeah, just I couldn't don't give know. her an answer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So but I, I suppose for for me, I mean, I, I'm looking at this at the the last few days of our COVID um, numbers. So I'm actually feeling, you know, it's maybe it's just because I'm an equity investor. I'm sort of looking trying to look for positives here, and I actually can see some positive signs in the trend of our our COVID cases at the moment. You know, I don't think we've seen the full impact of the lockdown on our, the number of our cases. So if you have a look at New Zealand's got about 240-odd cases per million of our population, and that compares to Australia at 231 cases per million. So it's likely that New Zealand is a little bit like Australia in, with similar border control policies and the remoteness is that we haven't seen the cases fall because of the lockdown yet because we've been yeah. in lockdown for, what, 10 or 11 days. So yeah. ho hopefully this week we'll start to see a big drop off in those cases, and if that's if that does turn out to be the situation, then um, if if you believe the evidence and and the, the suggestion from WHO that if you have COVID you remain contagious maybe for up to two weeks, which is similar to SARS or influenza. So after locking everyone up for four weeks, likely means that there's no viable host left for the virus to infect in your bubble. So then it, it it should die out. So then theoretically we could come out of this lockdown after that four weeks. I'm, I'm maybe picking it might get extended to after Anzac Day, but you know if there's no upsurges in those cases after you come out of lockdown in four weeks, so you go to level three, kids all go back to school, and then level two, maybe that's achievable month after that. So so that's quite an interesting, you know, optimistic scenario. And then then you turn around and say, well actually, how many companies have looked at this? optimistic scenario, what would they do? Because if we come out of this in that period of time, you, you'll see probably some of the exporters that have been, um, you know, the log export guys and stuff that haven't been allowed to to produce their exports. Uh, I think the, the Sanfords and the Scalarups and the, the Scales are, are still still going. But then, then I actually, you know, we've seen evidence out of places like Wuhan where the uh, shoppers have come back with vengeance. I think they took, they describe it as revenge shopping. Yeah, I think and, Donald Trump um, calls it a pent-up demand. Yeah, <laughs> it's, uh, you know, so they all go out and they buy the, so they'll buy all, they'll probably go and buy all the party stuff and alcohol and gambling and things like that. But I also wonder, New Zealand will probably be a bit suspicious that we might go back into lockdown. So everyone will go out and buy the the stuff they wish they had during the lockdown. So it's probably some DIY stuff and paints and things like that. I mean, I think um, you saw that into the, the couple of days leading into the lockdown when we knew we were going to have it. Have it. There was a yeah. lot of uh, buying in general, wasn't there? Uh, there, was yeah. a, there was a surge. I think most companies are saying that. Mm. Um, what? I mean, how, how will the economy look, though, realistically? Because I know everything may open again in a couple of months. That, that That's a view, but obviously the borders aren't going to open anytime soon, and you'd have to imagine that's going to have a pretty big impact on New Zealand's economy. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the exporters will benefit from, from us opening up our exports. The other thing will be is it will be, I think New Zealand, what it looks like, will be 
very much determined by whether Australia also manages to get on top of this because there is a scenario where you can see a regional block, if you like, with Australia and hopefully the Pacific in there as well, where you have people being able to move around to a certain extent and, and uh, trade. So open borders within the area. Yeah. 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 And so that you can open that up and then eventually you might get to what these you know people are talking about, medical passports and stuff like that. So if, if you want to come here as a tourist, you've actually got to fill in um, you know, a declaration and maybe even have a test to prove that you don't have COVID when you come here. So there, there could be some limitations there. Having said that, we, we know the New Zealand guys are still talking um, uh, restrictions in their, their flight plans into, right up until to December next year. We're talking about Air New Zealand. What do you see the, the future of Air New Zealand and Auckland Airport? I mean, both have sort of needed capital, but in different ways. Yeah, well, Air New Zealand has obviously got lots of um, issues in terms of just the demand has stopped from, from people wanting to fly. They have um, significant cash burn, so that, that was a necessary bailout from the government. Uh, from from our numbers, that they, they will if this lasts for a period of time, they will probably chew through most of the loan they've got from the government. It then becomes a, a, a decision as to what the, the government wants to do there because the government may just turn that into equity. Um, some of your listeners probably remember when um, the government owned about 80% of Air New Zealand in a similar sort of phase that we went through. So there could be another big capital raise on the other side of that. Mm. Um, and what price that's done at, I'm not sure to get investors to participate in. It's probably lower than what it is here. So we currently don't own any in New Zealand. Um, but I, I, I think um, it, it, it will be supported as a business by the government. It's extremely important for the country that we maintain an air, a, a, a capacity as an airline. So, I mean, it may obviously I'd agree that it may be supported by the government, but the equity holders may not be supported by the government, is that what you're saying? Oh, I think uh, there will be, I, I think... Because it's such a white house stock, uh, isn't it? Yeah, I, I suspect there is a, a reasonable amount of equity to be raised again. Yeah. Because that, that, that the, the debt, or the loan the government gave them is expensive. Mm. It was, uh, you know, it's not like cheap money. Yeah, and it's, um, so that, that in itself causes cash flow issues. Um, the government has the option to turn that into equity. So I think if they did that, then it probably also would be a call for um, the existing shareholders to be allowed to, to get involved in, the, in a recapitalisation as well. So, you know, that may be a rights issue of some sort. I mean, this is devastating most airlines in the world, but do you think there'll be restrictions going forward if the government is forced to do that on how, how Air New Zealand does things like pay dividends? Because maybe if they'd had a stronger balance sheet heading into this, they would have been able to weather the storm a bit better, or is that an unreasonable? Oh, I think that compared to most airlines, it had, Air New Zealand had a pretty good balance sheet. It's just when you have high operating, fixed operating costs and variable costs that are quite high, it's, it becomes really difficult to manage your capacity and your people, and, and when your revenue just stops, and I think that's been the issue for for most of these companies because you've gone from sort of full operating at, at pretty good levels to just having your revenue stop yeah, right. in a couple of weeks. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Um, so we have some questions from some of the members at the Shareholders Association. Max is interested to know what. What's been your biggest investment mistake and lessons that you've learned? 
Not necessarily through this, but just in, in general. I mean, what would you do when you make a mistake in investments, for example, and, and what lessons can you learn from mistakes? Well, I think um, if the, the most interesting one has probably been um, sometimes you get involved, as a fund manager, you get involved in these companies, and um, if I look back at some of them, sometimes you get involved with these companies that have um, industry people involved in them or on the on the share register and things and when they get into trouble sometimes there becomes a question around is it cheaper to let the company the self-interest starts to pop its head up so you end up with them looking at do I get involved in the recap or do I just buy bits of it off the liquidator so I think people need you've got to be really careful about the composition of the board and yep. the composition of the share register. So that, that that's sort of a little different as opposed to, to some of the other lessons that you'd learn around you know, balance sheets and cash flows and and um, making sure you fact-check what the executives tell you. Because sometimes, quite honestly, that you go and see some of these companies and the, and the execs that work at the company are, are probably the worst people to talk to because quite often they will only have a two- or three-month at best view of their business and you can see the train coming from a top-down point of view, or what other people are doing, or competitors, and they execs don't don't see that either. So you've got to make sure that you, you you question everything. So when you say composition of the board and and the shareholders, what sort of things are you looking for? And I guess conversely, what sort of things are you would would you call red flags? Well, I think you need um, quite often the companies talk about skill matrices on their their boards and things, and but. I think sometimes you find that they don't actually follow them. So if you've got a business that has engine, so you take a, a one of the gen, take the gen tailors, you want to make sure that those boards have got maybe some engineering electricity industry people on it, but also they've got a big retail book. So you'd want to understand that somebody in the, that director had had knowledge of what retail was and and how that how that would work and just sort of make sure that you're, you're happy with the experience and the capabilities of of the directors on those boards. Yeah. And what, in, in terms of companies, we've seen some pretty big capital raises from the likes of Kathmandu and, and everything like that. Do you, we, we had a, a, a question from Chris saying, what do you think would be next in terms of capital raises? Do you think there's going to be other companies that have to Go to the market for money. Uh, yeah, there will be, and it's certainly our expectation. Um, it, actually, interestingly enough, during the GFC, um, the companies that raised were probably the ones that we didn't really expect they needed to, but they were they were the one the good quality ones that they knew they could get the equity raising away. They didn't have to go. Um, mm. with, and, and, and probably Auckland Airport may be in that camp. So Auckland Airport's obviously gone early. They've raised probably more than what people expected them here, the 1.2 billion. Um, but the the thing that we have seen in the last couple of years is how, or the example that everyone's been looking at is Fletcher Building when they got into trouble with their US um, private placement debt because those can have quite onerous obligations around them and they can be quite difficult to negotiate. So uh, Auckland Airport had some of that debt. So what they've done is, is raised extra money so that if they need to renegotiate or pay those US um, debt holders out, they can do it. 
So mm. there, there is no gun to the head. So they have preempted anything around that, which is, is good to see. There will be other capital raisings, and you know, you look at some of these other businesses that have just shut and still have ongoing operating costs. They can probably survive for, for a month or two, but you would expect after a period of time they will have to start looking at um, at their balance sheet and probably raising some more equity. Mm. And I, that's, that's the big difference, right, between, say, the global financial crisis and now is that at least you could still make some money during the financial crisis. Yeah, Whereas, true. Like at, at the moment, you know, what, what does Catman do for revenue? What what can Catman do to do to make revenue? And it's very little, at yeah, least relative to their, right. their costs. I mean, what sort of signs would you be looking for that that I guess we know what in New Zealand, but globally that we're looking that we're moving out of this crisis because it's, it's it's severe, but it's not going to last forever. Well, I'd, I'd actually um, have a get, encourage people to get download what um, Main Freight has just released in terms of what they're seeing. So they, they've they've seen a. a 40% fall in revenue uh, in the last couple of weeks in New Zealand, but their their international revenues aren't down that much, you know, no, nowhere near that. So you can go through and have a look at all those different regions and what they're seeing, and it's actually an interesting insight into New Zealand versus the rest of the world. Mm. Um, and obviously they've they've got issues in Italy and places like that, but the other other economies are still sort of just ticking over, and. Um, yeah, unlike unlike New Zealand where they, their revenue was down forty percent, I think Freightways, their courier business was down sixty five percent here. So the rest of the world is still people are still doing stuff, but they're not locked down like we are. Mm. And I always like main freight reports because they're always written quite to the point and honestly, aren't they? Um mm. in terms of in, in that main freight report, for example, um, what we're seeing and seeing with virtually every company that's announcing something at the moment is the deferment of capital expenditure. Do you yeah. see that as sort of creating some medium to, to long-term issues with the economy? Because it's what every business is doing, large or small. They're delaying, cutting their dividends, delaying and delaying capital expenditures. Yeah, well, I think some of it will be maintenance capital and then some of it's expansion capital. So the maintenance capital will probably have to be spent eventually. Yeah. Um, so there, there's that issue with it. And then, um, yeah, the, the, the CapEx expansion is an interesting dilemma because a lot of the financial forecasts that people build are based around, well, we know that they're going to spend $100 million on this and we expect them to make a 12% return on that. So, mm. you know, you build that into your model because and if, if they're making a return that's greater than their cost of capital, then that's, it's adding value to your assessment of what the share price should trade at. So there, there will be lots of adjustments around. Um, and, uh, you know, this this current, we haven't seen all the announcement yet for in the downgrades, I don't think, for, for this financial FY20 year yet. So well, I think we'll see more and more of those over the next little while as people get an understanding of it and what, what the cash flows look like and how much capital they have to delay. Yeah, I guess especially once the numbers start coming out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The other thing too, I wonder too, is that um, you know you look at this the COVID nineteen experience, and this has followed SARS, it's followed the MERS, um, you know, swine flu. I think we this is going to be, keep occurring in the world. So as, as a business, you're also going to have to look at well, if this happens again, how do I control? my production lines, how do I, you know, I need this, the whole thing around distancing and things, and do people invest more in 
and that kind of production and, and to deal with stuff and maybe it's a bit more robots, a bit more spacing of people and workstations and this could change a lot around how we how we do our business and I think the other thing is just speaking from our point of view, you know, we've we've actually probably going to be get quite used to working from home a lot more in conference mm. calls and stuff on, on, on over over the uh, the web. Well, it, I mean, I'll, I'll be completely honest. Before I previously before I'd invested in a company, I'd never consider the prospect of the economy being shut down from a pandemic. I mean, do you think this will change the way that you invest? Do you think it will? Do you think you'll consider what companies can survive shutdowns, for example, or, or will you used to be business as usual? It's it's hard to forecast what the the shape of the shutdowns will look like. So at the moment the exporters are doing, you know, some of the exporters are still okay. Um, whereas if you're a domestic retailer, um, Sky City Casino or anything like that, you're, you're in trouble. Um, I, I think what you've got to do is that I think with the equity market being so strong, people had underestimated the risk in equities, mm. and I think this is just this has re-emphasised the fact that you can't underestimate risk and that you have to price risk properly through through time. And, um, yeah, I, I, it's, it's, we'd, we'd probably try and do that. We, with our um, agricultural exposures and things like that, you do tr- and, and cyclical exposures, you do try and build cycles into your forecast already. So And then, then you try and make an, an assessment of risk around that. So you do that, but I think it's, it's just a, it's been a useful if you could call what we've had is useful, but I think it's it's been a reminder, if you like, of of, of risk. Yeah, a lot of people's attitude that the opposite of the sense is anecdotally, but at least when this first happened, a lot of people were just assuming that sort of V-shaped recovery in the stock market, everything would just bounce back because that every time there'd been a little sell-off, that's exactly what had happened. Mm-hmm. So that's right. It'll be interesting to see where this heads, if, if that will be the case, or if it's going to continue into something a bit more, you know, six to ten months like the financial crisis. Yeah, the, the, the difficulty too in New Zealand at the moment is that we have a reasonable amount of our index or our market is the property stocks, mm. and they're normally defensive. So you'd expect them to be holding up quite well, but they're, they're just peeling off big time because there's questions around the survival of the tenants. And you know, so on a 12, 18 months basis, these companies probably struggle a little bit. But again, the, you know, the, the good players will still be there, and, and will probably be quite interesting investments over the next, over a longer time frame. But I don't think anybody really anticipated that we'd get ourselves into a position where the tenants just weren't being, we didn't have the capability to pay pay their rent. Yeah, I know a lot in the. Commercial space are just saying that they're not going to pay the rent. Like Harvey Norman, for example, came out and just said we're not we're not going to pay our rents. And I guess they can do that because of their size, but it must be happening on a on a mass scale. When you look at companies like Kiwi Property Group and other property, you know, commercial property companies, and none of their tenants have any revenue at the moment. No. And what about the another big sector? And you could sort of lump it in with the property would be the retirement sector? I mean, what, what's your guys' view there at the moment? Um, well, you would have seen the um, EQT guys have pulled out of the MetLife deal this morning. Yep. I'm not sure if you've seen that. So that's that's obviously going to cause a bit of turmoil in, in that share price. But, but as, an, as, a, as a business, we, we're a little 
wary of the retirement villages because of they rely on the development and sale and resale of the units that they that they have in there. So that all is reliant on the housing market and people's mm. ability to buy um, these units. And what people tend to do is they price in um, every time, say, a Ryman or a Somerset or a MetLife resell a unit, then there's normally a gain because the house prices have gone up. So these models are very reliant on house price inflation. So um, you you just need to be one one at the moment they are struggling with the transactions because obviously it's very difficult for people to sell a house or go and look at a retirement village or anything like that. So I suspect that they they like most businesses have, have come to a grinding halt. Um, well, there, there won't be any of that kind of revenue coming in. The, um, then, then from there, what what is your assumptions around house prices? If if you believe house prices are going to fall, then that will also impact their development profits and, and resale profits. Um, and that that really is going to depend on what the unemployment to me house price inflation is. It's unlikely to be positive inflation this year. So I, I suspect that house prices will come back a bit. But how far they come back will be dependent on how much pressure the economy comes under, and in particular, how big our unemployment levels go. Yeah, so you sort of—that oh, was going to be my next question—is your opinion on the where the where the property market's going? But I guess you sort of summed it up there. I mean, where, where do you sort of see unemployment levels getting to? Do you have a view there? Or? Oh, it, it, it's um, it's probably well well beyond my my pay grade to to sort of make forecasts on the unemployment. I did see. Um, yeah, you know, there's there's forecasts of anywhere from an extra forty thousand to to sort of quite big numbers. So I'm, I'm kind of hopeful that we can come out of lockdown a little earlier and stuff. There will be a rebalancing of the economy uh, initially away from tourism, education, those those kind of areas. Um, but if you can open the shops up a little bit and open the open the cafes and restaurants up a bit, then then maybe maybe you can save some of those businesses and jobs. I'm just looking at the MetLife share price now. It's, it's down 22% as, as as we speak. So because of that takeover, so that's interesting. Um, I mean, yeah. how? Yeah. Sorry, keep going. Oh, I was just going to say that the MetLife one has been interesting because um, what happens in these takeovers, you you get um, they call them ARP funds. So they 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 try and um, just buy something because it'll go up two or three percent within Price a specific. Yeah, take the spread, and so I think most of the New Zealand fund managers had sold to these ARB guys are up in the high sixes because these ARB guys are willing to take a few cents profit on it, and they they were very reliant on it. So suddenly they're now faced with the fact that this deal's not going to go through, so they're not going to get their seven dollars. So there's um, there's a big chunk of shares that are sitting out there owned by these ARB funds that that no longer have a reason to be there. So everyone's <laughs> Sort of staring at this this wall of stock and trying to work out what price to buy them at. I guess they all would have all would have been in there because it's a I guess a big and liquid company and you're not getting many takeovers in that space at the moment. Yeah, um, that's right. How, how would you guys be positioning yourselves going forward? Are you, are you doing anything different, or is it sort of weathering? I think the storm we, we, we're still reasonably defensive in terms of. Um, looking at people's businesses, what kind of revenue they're getting, what, they, what they're doing around their costs, and then also in particular in the, identifying those companies that might need to raise capital. Um, yeah. 
uh, going forward. And then it's, it's but it's also we you know, we we'd be still reasonably defensive. Um, finding defensive holdings that aren't going to be impacted too much can be a little difficult. I think, as I mentioned to you before we got on the call, that APRA in Australia is now um, suspending or asking the banks to uh, reduce or, or suspend their dividends, which is which is a big income earner for uh, particularly Australian retirees. Um, so that so the dividends is not really a defence at the moment. Mm. Uh, so dividend yields, because they are under pressure. So you then start looking at other businesses. Um, the more natural holder of defensive stocks would be the, the electricity companies, the gen tailors. Mm. Uh, we are seeing uh, industrial demand fall away, but they're, they're managing to switch that to uh, retail. So we're all sitting at home, and we, uh, as consumers, we pay more, obviously. It's better margins for the electricity companies to to sell electricity to a consumer in his, in his house rather than an industrial business. So there is a margin offset, but they will have a little bit of revenue pressure there. But the problem is that there is the exit of, um, potential exit of Rio for TY uh, smelter being closed. So that's hanging over that that sector. So it's not as defensive as you'd think. As we mentioned before, too, the property sector is not providing uh, much in the way of defensive nature. So you're then into... Uh, the companies like, say, the Vectors, the Choruses, um, Spark should be reasonably well um, protected, although they, I did, we do have some concerns around their roaming, profit, the profitability of the roaming part of their business. But I think their dividends should be reasonably sustainable. Um, so it's, it's, we're sort of trying to keep position in that and then also um, keep enough firepower to take up the capital issues from the likes of Auckland Airport and, and those kind of businesses when they come our way. Yeah. So, I mean, I think the only dividend that I've seen paid has been the NZX so far. And I understand you guys had a, I, I guess, a pretty strong view on the NZX at the moment and a while ago. Is that right? Oh, I think um, we're just sort of in, in, encouraging them to do to do things. But that, that we had... Um, we had different views on the NZX probably five or six years ago, but we, you know, we, we don't. I think the NZX is doing a reasonably good job. Our, our main issue with the NZX is them allowing um, high-frequency traders and algorithms to dominate our market. I'm not a big fan of the level of passive funds that come in and go out of our market either. They, we're getting more and more volume done on the close here now, which um, is, is not a healthy market. Um, so so it makes it very difficult for investors, whether you're institutional or retail, to actually find a price in this market if mm. it's dominated by investors that don't really care about how to value a company. Because for me, an exchange is about um, a marketplace for people to raise equity, sell their businesses at fair values and, and people to, to come and go. Um, but I think more and more we're seeing exchanges around the world just become um, focused on. Yeah, they, well, they just become focused on making money out of speed and information and data, and it's it's it's. I'm not sure how sustainable that is. Uh, well, from what we understand, that some of the the, the turnover on the the New York exchanges is well over 90% of the trades that are done there. Uh, ETF strategies. Um, all this kind of other things, and there's only a small amount of trade that gets done by someone that actually thinks the company is worth X amount of dollars. I mean, how sustainable do you think that is? Is that something that contributed to, I guess, a, a long period of 
upside and then maybe a quick sell-offs when they all exit, or how, how do you think it works? Oh, you can definitely, because the, the the other issue you've got is that, that the sell-off, the speed of the sell-offs and the, the size of the sell-offs is driven by the computer program. So you have what they call you know, the high-frequency trader. So the guy starts with no exposure in the morning and then the, the, set the algorithms off and if it, it looks like that stock price is going up, but it's going up because someone's trying to buy it. So they'll mm. front run it, push the price up, push it up, push it up, and then as the momentum starts to fall away, they will try and exit it. So at the end of the day, they finish up with no exposure on the other side of it. So to me, there's, there's no value in that, and in in it's, it's been driven by the desire of the exchanges for what they call liquidity, and, but it's really just volume, meaningless volume. Mm. I guess it just is whose algorithm beats who at the end of the day, isn't it? Yeah, well, it's it's um, it's just about speed and trying to identify the front range. Well, we you know we've we've seen people trying to develop algorithms that that anticipate the algorithms, and it's <laughs> it's, it's yeah. a bit of a, a, a sort of a technology war out there. Yeah, absolutely. I guess I'm sort of running out of of, of different questions to ask now. Is, is there any further comments you'd like to make on the? On, on anything we've talked about, or any any stocks you'd you'd like to talk about in particular, or anything like that. Um, no, I, I just think it's, um, it's 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 an interesting time for for businesses, and hopefully we can get back to um, more people being able to trade and and do things. So uh, no, I, I I think um, that there will be consequences for for that come out of the COVID thing, but I don't. You know, my my concern is this is not the the last pandemic, and people mm. just need to think about risk. But um, yeah, it's uh, it's. I probably don't have too much more to add in terms of these things. The, the companies, the, the announcement from the different companies is is changing on a, on a daily basis. You know, as I mentioned before, we've had the likes of Main Freight and Freightways come out and talk about what are happening to their business. I think the Z guys are saying their commercial volumes are down eighty percent. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess the the main freights and the freightways were companies that people were assuming were doing business as usual, almost, weren't they? Um, and, and same with Z. You know, you think Aussie oh, being an essential service, but when you think about it, I can't think. I don't think I've filled up my car at all in the last couple. No, of weeks. that's I it. Do it every week. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and the, and the trucks are not not going. They've also got a whole lot of jet fuel that's not being used. Mm. So yeah, yeah. So do you think the Government's responses around the world have been, I guess, necessary and, and sufficient to deal with the crisis in terms of like the economic packages and things like that. I think you've. I think at the moment, or the, the, the initial response has really been around the health. This is this is not a this is not an issue that can be solved with governments throwing money at it. it it's it really needs to have the healthcare systems. Um, protected to start with, and yeah. New Zealand, with its remoteness, has been lucky with this. Um, some of the other countries that have, have have actually got reasonably good healthcare systems, and you know, Northern Italy and places like that, they've really come under immense pressure. They they look like they're sort of coming through the other side of it now. And, and in some ways, New Zealand, with our remoteness, we've been we're lucky that we've been able to close the borders and watch what's going on. So um, we, we would have learnt a lot from from this, and uh, and how to cope with, with these kind of events. So um, oh, the I mean economic that. side of it, there's a lot of firepower in this in this in these global economies at the moment with a lot of cheap money, 
a lot mm. of stimulation. So if you can solve the issues around COVID, then then you know I, I don't know. I mean, the potential there is is for a, a sharp recovery, mm. but it just depends on how how much damage is done on the way through. Yeah, because I mean, in New Zealand, there's a lot of small business people that fund their businesses on small balance sheets. Probably um, have had some benefit of the the 12 weeks the government was giving to support salaries and stuff. But you would have had other costs. The big issue is that you're coming up now to the second week of or the second half of the of the, the lockdown. Decisions are going to be made about the payroll again. You know, can I pay these, pay my staff again? How do I do this? Um, and I, unfortunately, a lot of these small businesses, so people probably fund it through their mortgage. Yeah. And, and you know, so that, that that's a second derivative. That's another effect on on what this may um, the impact it might have. So, if you were, I guess, how do I say, if you were. Uh, you investor right now, so you're just out of university and you've just got your first job. What what, what advice would you have for a young investor? Um, okay, I just need to be careful with this because I'm not a, obviously not an advisor and I can't give in general terms uh, class advice. Yeah, so 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 just so general general thoughts on this. I think it's um, you've if you're just starting out or you're continuing to put money in the market, you've had a major reset here, so things are a lot cheaper than they were. Um, so it's, it's probably the old just averaging in and just chipping away. I, I can't tell you if this is the bottom or not, mm. um, but things are, uh, are a lot cheaper than they were. We've, our equity market sort of back to levels it was probably around this time last year. So um, the froth has been knocked off these markets. The, the difference is, that, as we talked about before, is that it's it's a struggle for some companies to survive. The benefit of being listed on the exchange, though, is that you can turn to your shareholders and get recapitalised. It's it's rare that you get companies that go under, um, mm. but that's that's you know, that I'm thinking of the, you know, the likes of the Winyards and the Pumpkin Patches and some of these companies that have failed. But it's it's unusual for you to have that. To just disappear, so, disappear completely. Yeah, just, yeah. So, I mean, would, you, would you say the markets are, are cheap right now? Considering you said at the start that they were overvalued before, would you say that they're cheap now, or would you say it's we're still not quite there yet? Oh, I don't think it, I don't think they're cheap. Um, they're, they're better value than they were. The problem is that the, this if financial year if um, twenty is probably a write-off in terms of earnings. You'll see some companies report losses and things. So, um, it. And then it's it's really reliant on what your expectations in terms of the recovery are. So, I think if you're if you're happy to invest in, in equities, then you just chip away, and you take the risk and you just average keep averaging in. So if it what goes about the sectors that have been completely decimated, like the travel sector, for example, and maybe some retailers and maybe oil companies, would you see the, the, the best opportunities there or are they sort of too uncertain at the moment? I think that's probably a risk appetite argument. If, mm. if you're, it's probably, it becomes, you would have to assign greater risk to those companies at the moment than what you have done in the past. Mm. So, you know, your ability to forecast what that might, that might look like 
is a lot tougher. And uh, yeah, so do, do these do they survive? I, I'm not sure. Do, what does it look like on the other side? Um, yeah, we saw this with Webjet the other day. Nobody wanted to recapitalise Webjet when they came to the market, and so that sort of got buried for a bit. And then suddenly there was a, uh, I think Bain and Co, the private equity guys, appeared, and then everyone wanted to help them recapitalise it. But mm. it's, that Webjet may be a little different because maybe we do a, we've all become a lot more accustomed to doing things online. So maybe there's a massive push towards those companies that are online. Yeah, and flights need to just had a big raise the other day as well. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Paul. I think I'm about finished with the, with the questions. Is there anything you'd like to say to end the podcast? Oh, I think it's it's about um, staying positive, looking for opportunities, and, and um, staying safe. Really, I think um, our, our, again, our cases we, we've been lucky in New Zealand, and our case numbers are, are hopefully trending down to the point where we can get out of lockdown and, and get back to something that starts to head back to normal reasonably soon. Fantastic. Hopefully sooner rather than later. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Thanks very much for your time today, Paul. Fantastic. You're welcome. See you. Take care, Jerry. Bye. Bye. Right, well, I hope you enjoyed the special episode of the podcast. As I said at the start of the episode, you can find out more about the Shareholders Association by going to www.nzshareholders.co.nz and you can find out more about Salt Investment Funds by going to www.saltfunds.co.nz. Thanks again for listening to the podcast. As a reminder, nothing that Paul or I said today should be considered financial advice. If you want to find out more about the podcast, go to stockmarketmovers.co.nz or find us and give us a like on Facebook. Share it with your friends. Email me at jeremy at stockmarketmovers.co.nz. Once again, my name has been Jeremy Midlin, and this has been a special episode of the Stock Market Movers podcast. We'll see you all again next week.